Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Today, we're talking about everyone's favorite subject, money. Hi, everyone. I am Liz Bashirs. I'm your host today, joined by my co-hosts, Rachel Breyers. Hi. And Mary Scott Hunter. Hello. There are so many emotions and mores and minefields surrounding the subject of money, but I want to explore whether or not we need to start making some changes to how we view, interact with, and, and talk about this thing that is just everywhere in our lives. It's very, it's pervasive. You can't live without it. Money. Uh, so, you know, we need to talk about, we need to talk about it with our friends. We need to talk about, talk about it with our coworkers, especially other women. And we need to talk about it with our spouses and children. But first I want to ask this question. What is it that makes us feel squirmy or uncomfortable when we're talking about money? Oh, that's a great question. Mm. You know, I was yes. giving this some good thought and I think it might be because money can be closely tied to how we humans sometimes judge our personal worth, you know, or Mm -hmm. our our value. It can feel like a part of our identity. If we aren't careful, we can get tempted to think if we earn a lot, we're worth a lot. If we earn less, maybe we're worth less. And I don't know if you think about it, money is a numeric value. You can quantifiably measure it against others in terms of do you have more? Do you have less? We use language such as what is someone worth? What is their net worth? You know, mm-hmm. who has more square footage in their house? There's all these numeric values. Um, so I don't I, that, that kind of popped up to my mind. I'm like, this is this is something that can dig at our identity. Definitely can dig at your identity. I am going to relay relate an incident that happened at my church. And I understand how this could happen, but I'm not sure I handled it well. Um, I... My one of my children came home and talked about the importance of being poor. And I poor in spirit is a that's a concept that bears studying. And I understand that. But he literally took it as poor. And I, I just found myself like diving into this, (laughs) this lecture to him about the importance of making a you know, a good living. And, and then I thought, Oh, wait, did I handle that one? Well, I don't know, (laughs) you know, and I, and it's just a really hard thing to talk to you with your kids about because your my kids go to public Mm -hmm. school and public school is the great melting pot in America. And there's all kinds of kids from all different backgrounds. My kids school is everything from the wealthiest in our community to some of, you know, the, the, the people that struggle and that live in public housing. And so that's probably the most uncomfortable that I have been is trying to teach my kids how to think about it and how to talk about it. But man, how, where like where do you even begin? Because it, it's some, it's what, what's too much information, and what and what is not enough, and that you know both directions can cause problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I just I, st- I don't think I get this right. I feel like I, as a mom, I, my children are fifteen, uh, twelve, and eleven, and I just feel like I really struggle 
with this. Um, and that's where I struggle the most. Now I can, I'm a lawyer, so I can give advice, you know, on, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty straightforward when it comes to giving advice to adults and very little makes me uncomfortable about it from adults, accepting advice, giving advice, you know, that's kind of our law, you know, lawyer stock and trade. But, um, but when it comes to my children and helping them to handle it, that's really hard. You know, something you hit on too, that makes me think back to this identity thing is that I, and I hadn't really thought about it until you said, that somebody was thinking that it's a value to be poor is that 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 can also be an identity issue if you think that perhaps it's more christian to not have a lot of money or you aren't living for money maybe maybe that can also be something that makes it difficult to like i've known missionary families who you know they don't somebody wants to give them say a big screen tv like here's a here's a gift here's a big screen tv but they're like oh wait I don't want anyone to come over and think here I am a missionary living on people's generosity that I spent my money on this big screen TV. I, I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but I just, I, again, getting back to that question was asked of what makes it squirmy of an, of an issue. It, it, it just, it gets at who we perceive ourselves to be and also who we are showing the world that we are, our choice of cars, our, you know, just all of that. That is tricky. So with all of that in mind, would it surprise you to hear that 61% of women would rather talk about their own death than talk about money? <laughs> talk about their own death, like how, how they think they will die or? That's yeah, yeah there's a, we would rather discuss mortality than money. <laughs> talk about a, something that's so loaded. Oh but you goodness. know what? I, here's where I can really understand that. Because like Mary Scott, you said you are comfortable giving advice. I... I truly, I would say in the money category, I don't come to me for investing advice and all of that. I'm not a financial planner, but I am really proud of some of the things, some of the systems we've put in place that, and I, and I find myself thinking I should write an article and give some advice or I should, I should tell people. And even on this episode, I found myself squirming, thinking about putting myself out there giving advice. But we sh- you're right, Liz, that we should share because it's such an important, I mean, aren't most of the divorces based on financial problems? Isn't that a statistic that we've all heard? You know, we should, we should share these things, but I'm not surprised at all that you say it's something that women don't want to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, uh, not only over communicating in our marriage, but, but also with our friends. I mean, so my husband, James and I are both over communicators because that was a weakness we saw in our parents' marriages. And from the very beginning, we're like, we're going to talk this to death, especially about money, because it is such a a big issue. Um, But we also talk about it with our friends. Uh, When my husband and I first got married, money was really, really tight. In fact, he uh, left his job unexpectedly after we'd been married for about three months. And I was um, not making very much money. We were just straight out of college. And uh, for three months, it was just me and our apartment and it was it really showed us number one what we were made of but number two that we have to have some of those processes in place if that ever happens again um you know we had student loans and car payments and we're you know, wanted to buy a house and you know once he once he did uh, become employed again it was a different situation but there were so many times especially in those those early years where we had to say just say no to our friends who wanted to go out to a meal who you know wanted to to go to a concert or wanted to go on vacation together and 
so we had to come up with creative ways to to maintain friendships and and while also sticking to our budget. So our favorite thing to do was uh, instead of going out to a restaurant, we would uh, host BYOB and BYOM, meaning bring your own meat parties. So much fun. And now hosting friends is still our favorite thing to do. It helps hold you accountable and demonstrates your priorities to your friends as well. Because I I think we live in a society where a lot of people would rather say, oh, I'll just put it on the credit card or I'll just, you know, make a smaller student loan payment this month because I, you know, I, I don't want my friends to know that we're having financial hardship. But we found that being honest about where we were with our friends helped us to you know, stay, you know, to stick with our plan and, and be held accountable as well. So what are some tactful ways to let your friends know what your priorities are, whether something is out of your budget or, you know, if, if you would just rather do something else with your money? I do think that we all find ourselves at times in those situations where we have friends who are just in a different financial situation than, than we are. I mean, I think studies show that people tend to gravitate toward others who they perceive are similar to them. I think finances is one of those areas. We tend to like to be around others who live similar lifestyles. And I think that's probably true. But, you know, it's not always true. So I think this is a great question because people make different choices about how to spend their money. So I wonder if maybe saying, um, oh, what, you know, wouldn't that be fun? I'm working towards some financial goals. So that isn't in that isn't in the budget at the moment. What if we dot, 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 you know, and then maybe suggesting something in the same category that you really feel like they would enjoy, but fits your budget? I think that what I mean, Rachel, one of the things that you do so well is intuit what's going on with others. You're very intuitive. And I think that Oh, thank you. Well, you are. And I and I, I think that's I've had, we've had friends who have been, you know, we have doctor friends and, you know, dual doctor friends where their, you know, their budget is basically unlimited. And, you know, and then we've had, you know, we've had, we have one of my children's mothers is a single mom and she is a nurse and I can, you know, it's obvious that she really has to hustle and her situation is a lot different than ours, but we love hanging out with her. And you have to, I think you just have to, I love that you understand that you have to be really sensitive to what's going on with other people about this on this subject and they should be to you but they aren't always there's an area where i where i tend to i find that um you it's it's hard to you get asked a lot and you just have to as tactfully as you say can say uh no and that because i've been in politics for a long time um and been in elected office uh <laughs> And I am known as a as a solid fundraiser. I get asked a lot for donations, mm-hmm. and um, the way that I learn to handle that is, uh, and it's my friends, it's my colleagues, it's my business partners, it's my clients, it's all sorts of people that'll ask me for donations, political donations, and those. What we did, what we started doing early on is making our budget. I've talked in other podcasts about uh, being able to model in Excel. I think that's extremely important for a woman to be able to model and model your budget. But establish your budget and know what you want to give philanthropically uh, and then or give to political donations. That's not philanthropy. But then when your budget is expended, just tell them that my line item for that is done. You know, I've I've I had however much money set aside and I've spent it. And that's that. I love that. And I I think too, at not adding 
a oh i'm so sorry yeah you know how you can kind of Mm -hmm. i feel like when people do that when you feel super guilty and you communicate guilt it makes it come across as though you're not being truthful like that you actually do have some money you could give and you feel really guilty about not giving it so i think that perspective of just being straightforward and firm and confident and boy that is a wonderful cause and i have no doubt that you or you know or i have no doubt that you would be a wonderful candidate for such and such this part of my budget has already been expended but thank you so much for asking boom yep confident boom. done yes done. i like that yes. love it love it and because it's such a it's such a difficult balance between grace and being firm hmm. and you just knock it out of the park love it so the other area we need to talk about money with is with our I hate to say coworkers, but particularly women in the workplace, I think would benefit a lot. And studies show that women in the workplace benefit a lot from when we do talk about money, when we talk about compensation, when we talk about um, benefits packages and that kind of thing. Because for a long time, it's been such a taboo. And in some states for a while, I think it was even illegal or a fireable offense to, to discuss pay with other people. So people ended up not realizing, women especially ended up not realizing that they might be being paid less for the same work as somebody else. Is that something that either of you have ever run into about, you know, you found out that you were working in a job and and maybe a male coworker who has been there the same amount of time as you was getting paid more just because he knew to ask for more and maybe you didn't know to ask for more. Well, depending on where you are in America, the the wage gap is is real and it can be as real as 30%, 20%, you know, it's it's a there's a real gap. Uh, and if you look back historically, I mean there's a long swath of history where women didn't make any money at all. They had no money of their own. They couldn't vote, they couldn't manage money, they couldn't make money, they couldn't hold money for them. I mean, so that's a real thing, and that long arc of history reaches into today. And this is an area where I have always felt really strongly that you should push for what's fair. You really should push for what's fair. Now, don't, you know, you got to look for the right time. You got to look for the right words. You got to be tactful. You don't want to approach your boss when he or she is in a bad mood. But, you do need to be firm in this because you're, no boss is going to give you a raise without you asking for it. In my experience, that's just never going to happen. Or, or sometimes you don't need a raise as women. Oftentimes we count our benefits as just as important flexibility, um, uh, better health insurance for our families. If we're the, you know, if our health insurance is coming through our work, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to negotiate that can wind up being money in your household income. Uh, but being, Understanding what those are, so it starts with a with a budget and being able to model your budget. Um, and when I say model, what I mean is write it down some kind of way. I use Excel. I, I'm a big fan of Excel, but however you choose to do it, being able to know what your household income is um, from all sources and know what you want to, what do you want to make? You know, what do you want to get? Um, and remember that income can come to you in a lot of different ways. It can come to you as reimbursements for health insurance. It can come to you as reimbursements for a car. It, I mean, there's lots of ways to, to, you know, to harvest money in the workplace that are not just straight up income. I like that. Absolutely. I, I think that, and Liz, you might be in the same situation as, as I am as a business owner, having to set, set your own price on products, on 
whatever it is that we do. And I think that can be difficult. Um, I think that can be very difficult. I think people who provide services, likely all of us struggle with trying to figure out what is the what's the fair and good price. Um, and then standing by that number and not feeling shaky on it. But I think the way that I've kind of come to, and this has come from advice from multiple people, so I can't take credit for these ideas, but trying to think what would it be worth to me to provide the service? You know, really brainstorming and thinking, what's that number that is worth it to me? What do I think this is worth? And then maybe going up by 20%, because I think as women, perhaps we tend to undercut our value going up, you know, somewhere between 20 and 50% on that number, and then getting myself in a mindset of what I'm going to call, and again, this comes from someone else, his name is Ed DaCosta, his idea is playing with house money, meaning I'm going to put that number out there. I have thought about this well enough to think this is what I am worth. If you walk away, I'm not lowering my number. Because I'm in a mindset that I'm going to take or leave this. I am okay without it. And that has kind of transformed my thinking on this. Um, Because again, we're talking about, you know, if I'm going to go travel and give a talk, that affects my family. What is that worth it to me? Rather than thinking of it the other way around as in, oh, well, what is this company willing to pay? Or what, you know, I want to think about that. I want to be able to flex. But um, but I've got to think about, about how it affects the family and what's worth it preach sister that is something that <laughs> that entrepreneurs uh, encounter on a daily basis of of knowing your worth knowing your the worth uh, the value of of the product you're putting out there and then sticking to it and being willing to say no and you know what there i can think of maybe maybe one time where i put out a number and the person the potential client said uh, absolutely not and i had to walk away Usually there, there's at least a happy middle place that you can come to if, if you have an honest and frank discussion about it. But, you know, usually people people are coming to you because they see you as the expert on something. So you be the expert on what you're worth and, as well. And, and don't fold when you, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a corporate setting like I am and you put your, you know, you put your request out there, you know, or you put the, your price out there for your product. Don't fold when they balk. You know, tease it out a little bit. Find out what's going on with them. Maybe they have, maybe they're a startup. Maybe they have a, a they anticipate more income later and they could remunerate you later at a better rate. But, you know, or maybe they want to grow into that or, you know, maybe there's something else they could offer you that is valuable to you. So um, if if your employer or your customer balks, don't stop there. Kind of say, well, you know, I, I can see you're hesitating. What, what can we do here? And there is a whole maybe series of episodes that we could do uh, about asking, you know, when, when it comes to asking for that raise or asking for higher pay in some, in some fashion. But one of the things that I have read over and over again that is suggested is to, if you work for a company of any size, go to the HR department and find out what their pay scale is for your position. Mm-hmm. And so you know where you are on what they are they have you know, in writing, they are willing to pay for that position. And if you're on the low end of it, now you have the leverage to say, look, I know what the pay scale is for this position. Here are, here are these reasons I've listed out to say that I am worth the top of that pay scale. And that way you have something firm, written, concrete from your own HR department to show the people that you're negotiating with that you know, you're worth this. And I think that mindset, again, with that goes a long way. If, if, we're, if we're demanding or petulant or taking offense when somebody 
doesn't like the price or, or our ask, yeah, that comes across. And, you know, I think part of being indispensable, that's a word Mary Scott has used, you know, to be more indispensable at work, it's being humble. Maybe it's being hungry, it's knowing your worth, but it's also being humble and just saying, this is what I think I'm worth and let's talk about it without taking that to the next level of being offended. Well, and try to take on with that indispensability. That is, I mean, this is America. We are compensated not for the amount and hardness of our work, difficulty. We are compensated based on scarcity. It's supply and demand. And the more rare and valuable your skill, your ability, your, you know, what you bring to the table is, the more you can anticipate being, you know, being compensated. And that's, that's this, you know, that's a difficult thing to swallow, because we want to say, well, I should be paid more because I work harder. Well, that's not how it works. Mm, it, that's good. it works. Yeah. And so you got to just kind of remember that. So when your boss asks you to take on this thing, you know, and you're like, oh, it's going to be a, you know, but if that thing is you're the only one that's going to know how to do it really well, jump on those projects, jump on those projects, because that makes you indispensable to them. And then later, they will realize that and compensation should naturally follow. You know, I like that idea too, that market value idea, when again, getting back to pricing your own products, I think there's a philosophy out there that you should just you know, overvalue yourself, price your products really high because people will be willing to pay. And I don't necessarily like that idea either. I, I like the idea of being no. fair, you know, a fair market value and getting to that number, I think is exceptionally hard, but um, <laughs> you know, you can't sell something if it's not of value to who you're trying to sell it to. Nope. And, and they will know if, if you overprice it, I believe at the, at the end of, of the line. That's such a, a hard balance to strike, though, because I, I do think for pushing back a little bit that a lot of women have undervalued themselves for so long that what might seem like a huge number for me to put out about myself might be the market for you know, that service or that product. And so, again, research, finding out what is a fair price and then you know sticking with it is is really important, really, really important, especially as a woman in the workplace. Uh, so the last area that I think we need to spend um, more time talking about money with is with our spouses and children. At some point in their lives, 90% of women will have sole control over their finances. Uh, for example, my grandmother was in her 50s when my granddaddy, her husband, died, and she never remarried. She lived to the age of 96. So she spent the majority of her life not married and you know the majority of her adulthood being in sole control over over her finances now my mom uh, also my dad died when he was in his early 60s and so my, the same is uh, likely true for my mom i mean she all of a sudden after living with somebody who had control over the finances for the 37 years of their marriage she was in charge and it was a it was a very you know it was a tough time for her going from having no idea what the finances were to being the only one in charge of them and you know in general i think men define success based on a target number we're like like rachel talked about at the very beginning uh, there's a lot of times that we'll see people put their value in their net worth and but women frequently talk about financial success more in terms of having enough enough money to be self-sufficient, enough money to maintain their lifestyles, enough money to retire, and enough money to be able to you know, grow into old age without having to depend on their children. 
but you you don't you don't know how to find either of those numbers without talking about it and, and talking about it with your spouse and talking about it with your kids. Any thoughts on that? It's just something because after seeing both my mother and um, mother-in-law go through this with the deaths of their husbands in the last couple of years, it's just, I cannot, I cannot talk enough about how important it is to be on the same page with your spouse financially. So y'all know that a book that has deeply influenced my life is Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. And for a book that's written, you know, in the 20s about a time that was even further in the past, it she one of the central focuses is that she gets and she gets a she's a single woman in a time when women didn't even vote uh, or they she you know they came to vote during that time and she gets an inheritance of 500 pounds a year forever and that for the rest of her life and that she talks about how that changes her life and then she talks about how it changed her ability to interact in the world and it changed her outlook on various things that she was doing and projects that she was working on. She was thinking about fiction and writing fiction, but um, you could analogize it to just about anything. But I think that, you know, I'm a big advice giver to young women to earn your own living, earn your own living. And I know that women will, you know, it's, and I think this is a wonderful thing. If you are able to take time and, and raise a family and take time off and kind of, you know, women oftentimes will float in and out of the workplace, you know, go part-time, go very part-time, you know, go all the way into just being a, not just, but being a stay-at-home mom for a time. Um, and kind of, I mean, that's kind of the way of things with, um, with women, but I am just a very firm believer believer in keeping your resume going and earning your own living. I just think that's really, really important. And I, it would be, it would be hard for me to be dissuaded of that. And I know that there are women out there who have different ideas and different notions, but that's my advice because I think it's really not just important for you to have financial security, but how, but if you have your own income and your own, um, if you have something of your own that you earn, even if it's not the same amount that your husband earns, um, then it, it affects how you interact with the world and him. So for me, it's made a happier marriage. I had a lot of fun the other day when my daughter was asking me about, <laughs> she was asking me about a check I was writing to the school for a field trip that was an overnight trip. It was kind of pricey. And she said, don't you need to ask dad about writing this check. And I said, no. Um, she said, well, don't you need to ask him because it's his money? And she's 11. So I guess she had never really realized. I said, and Claire, you know, your dad works more than me, but per hour I make more than him. And that like blew her mind. <laughs> and I, I don't know, there was just some little part of me that was really proud to be able to tell her that depending on how you, you know, think about it, I, I make as much or more than him sometimes and in some circumstances. So anyway, I, I think that it's important for women to make money, not only because of just the dollars in the bank account and how it helps your household income and your ultimate financial security, but how you view the world in a positive light. You know, I'd love to piggyback off of that idea because I think the, and this is taking the question a different direction, Liz, um, it's kind of just like the best maybe money advice, but um, as one of those women who, you know, I've had five children and I'd say I've been definitely in and out, in and out of various positions. And, you know, now I work from home, I own a business, I'm extremely blessed, extremely thankful. 
but um, there were years there was no chance I could get any any work done. I mean, I had maybe a two-year-old and a baby, and I, I think the best money advice I ever, ever received, and I think this goes with what you're saying, but it's a little bit different take, was to live off of one's, you know, get everything, all the major expenses on one spouse's income. So, you know, whether that's the the wife or the husband, I think I would highly recommend just to do it on the husband's salary because you you just don't know as a as a woman when you have that child what's going to happen inside of you. I never dreamed I would be a stay at home mother. Never, I, you know, I, it just it didn't occur to me. I that was on my career trajectory. I didn't think it would happen, but that that was something that I absolutely ended up wanting to do. And after I had my first child, I did go to graduate school, but. Most of the time I was, you know, I was at home with the baby. So, but we had, we had already made that decision to, you know, live on, on one person's salary. And so I think as you start earning more as a wife, it can be really tempting to go buy a bigger house and um, start to, you know, really depend on both salaries. Or if you decide to go with, you know, choosing to live on the wife's salary, you know, live on both, but that just made a huge difference. Now, do we live in probably a relatively small house for what we make as a, as a couple? We do. We, you know, for, I drove for 10 years, a old minivan that we paid cash for. And, you know, it just, it was old and it was embarrassing and I don't drive it anymore. Thank you. But, um, but I think getting over that, getting over that really frees you up to have a lot of flexible cash, a lot of flexible spending, um, that can amp up and down and really not hurt you. So it, to me, it feels like at least one spouse's money could be the play money, so to speak. Um, and I, I, I would give that as some advice. And picking, piggybacking off of that, I think the best uh, advice about money that I've ever been given is not to let your expenses grow at the same pace as your income. Hmm. But that has been the hardest hardest thing to stick to because your your standard of living does inflate as as your income inflates but man you know so especially as somebody who works you know based on uh, my own business my income fluctuates throughout the year you know i might lose a half of my income in a month if if one major project comes to an end and i don't have another product project lined up but so going from having a being able to play with all of my money to playing with none of it is difficult man it's so difficult it takes a lot of intentionality to not you know let your standard of living inflate along with your income so i want to end it up with uh, just a, a quick fun thing if money was no object what would you do or buy do you want the responsible one or do you want the no. be as irresponsible and fun as you want to be? Okay. Well, yeah, we'll leave aside the responsible one, which is pay off my house. But the, the, the secret vanity one is I would get one of these whole body makeovers, like stem to stern, top to bottom, left <laughs> to right. You know, I would go check in and, you know, suck, pinch, pull, tuck, whatever, you know, all that. I would go do, I, I'll never do that, but that is what I would do if no money were no object. <laughs> I love it. I would love to just spend a lot on my wardrobe and, you know, have the best hair care and products and all that, but I'm never going to, never going to do that as it stands, but um, little touches here and there, that works. Uh, so mine, I think I would travel 
I would just travel with the whole family like mad. You know, we'd be flying all over the world, a month in Spain, a summer in Greece. You know, I would take them to here and there and thither and just stay in hotels and have a great time. That's probably what I would do. Oh, you stole mine, but that's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. So if money was no object, that's what that's what I would do too. I would have condos in several cities and maybe maybe 12 condos and spend a month in each. And I don't I don't need to buy and maintain a house, but maybe just, you know, long-term Airbnb, mm. spend um spend the hot muggy summer out of Alabama and somewhere where the weather's a little bit nicer and then, you know, maybe come back home when it's winter and, and a little bit more bearable. Ooh, love that. But that's what I would do too, just like 12, you know, 12 different countries, 12 different cities and just travel, 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 travel. Well, thank y'all so much for your time uh, today. We really appreciate you listening in to Bell Curve and uh, hope that you'll tune in next time. Now, if you have any questions or thoughts or opinions about the opinions we've uh, talked about today, please let us know. You can uh, find out how to contact us on our website and we would love to get your feedback. Y'all have a good one.